Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. As winter's chill grips Canada, breaking records from coast to coast, many of us find ourselves longing for spring and searching for motivation to keep our New Year's momentum going. While I can't control the weather, and oh, how I wish I could, I can certainly help with a healthy dose of motivation. Today's show is packed with inspiring stories and empowering conversations. Here's what's coming up. We start with a topic close to my heart, the power of a woman's voice. Jam Gamble, a respected advocate for amplifying voices and the founder of Slay the Mic, joins me to discuss empowering women to use their voices confidently. Jam's journey is a testament to the impact of speaking up, whether in the boardroom, on stage, or in daily life. We'll explore how we can all learn to speak up and be heard. Ann Brody is in with strong female leads, including Origin from master storyteller Ava DuVernay, Memory with Jessica Chastain, and The Braid, which pays tribute to the determination of women to overcome every manner of obstacle to keep life moving forward. Renowned journalist and author Pamela Wallen shares insights from her book, Cats, True Tales and Life Lessons from a Purring Companion. Co-authored by her Siamese cat, Kitty, this book delves into the unique bond between cats and their humans. Whether you're a cat lover or simply curious, Pamela's stories are sure to enchant. Feeling overwhelmed by January's push for resolutions? Laura Wellman, author of You're Not Lazy, joins me to discuss her journey from self-doubt to self-acceptance. Laura challenges societal expectations and offers a fresh perspective on personal growth, reminding us that it's okay to embrace a kinder approach to our goals. Finally, Kalina Powell, a deaf motivational speaker and coach who embodies resilience and empowerment, joins me. Despite the challenges of her hearing impairment, Kalina's journey is one of success and inspiration, offering hope and motivation to others facing obstacles. So whether you're looking for inspiration to find your voice, entertainment to warm up your winter, heartwarming tales of feline companionship, a new perspective on resolutions, or stories of incredible resilience, today's show has something for everyone. Stay tuned for an uplifting and empowering episode of What She Said, right here on 105.9 The Region. off today's show with a topic that's obviously very close to my heart, the power of a woman's voice and the importance of believing in it. Joining me is Jam Gamble, a renowned advocate for amplifying voices and the founder of Slay the Mic. Jam's work is all about empowering women to trust their abilities and use their voices confidently. Her journey and the impact she's made are truly inspiring. Whether it's in the boardroom, on a public stage, or in everyday conversations, finding and using our voice is a crucial step towards empowerment. So let's explore how we can all learn to speak up and be heard with Jam. Welcome to What She Said, Jam. It's nice to have you here. This is so cool. I've been waiting for this conversation. Uh, me too, actually. I've been sort of quietly stalking your Instagram now for a, for a little while. And I saw a video you did the other day and I thought, oh, I cannot wait anymore. I have to reach out to her. So I'm so glad you're here. 
Um, mm -hmm. Can we start, can you sort of talk about the journey with Slay the Mic? Because it's inspiring and, and maybe just share what brought you to that point. Oh gosh, I love reflecting on this journey. So I've always been a talker. Um, I'm the kid who got into a lot of trouble for talking. Teachers thought it was a problem. Bosses thought it was a problem. My mom thought it was a problem. <laughs> uh, and for a while, I didn't know how to really use it because people saw it as a problem. Um, when I graduated from college, my mom's advice to me was not to be basic. And I was like, okay, solid advice, mom. I'm going to take that. I'm going to run with it. And my background at the time was in special education. So I took my love of talking and teaching and just connecting with people and my passion for special education. And I started doing small little talks and workshops on disability awareness and inclusion. That led me to accidentally launching a TV show um, called A Voice for All and became a TV host, had a show for six seasons. I winged it, never had a teleprompter or notes or any of that. And from there, that's when I got into doing small event hosting and again, little talks here and there. And every time I got off the stage, people would always ask me, like, how do you do that? And believe it or not, I never knew public speaking was a fear. Wow. Because I got into trouble. <laughs> I didn't know people were scared of talking. I didn't even know that public speaking coaches were a thing. I only got introduced to one when I was hosting TEDx and they paired me with a speaking coach and I convinced her to let me wing TEDx. And then she told me afterwards, you don't need my help. You give this car to somebody else. So that was the first time I was introduced to it. So when the more people ask me, how do you do that? That's when I was like, okay, well, people are curious. What can I do with this? And that was around the time in 2016 when Instagram really started to blow up and everybody and their dog were launching initiatives and businesses and events online that I was like, well, I can help people find their voice. And that's how Slay the Mic was born. It was never part of my plan or having a, a vision. I just, I just, I just started it. In your experience then, because you, you know, you've been doing this now since 2016, what are some of the common challenges women face when it comes to speaking up, particularly in more professional environments? Um, it's not in professional environments. It starts in their homes. Interesting. That's so a lot of people come to me with the desire to um, be more confident speakers in the boardroom or doing presentations or even maybe becoming keynote speakers and and using their voice out loud in, in, in society. But for a lot of them, when we work through their vocal roadblocks, um, we recognize that their biggest vocal obstacle is their partner, that they can communicate clearly or bravely, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I need. This is what I need you to stop doing. Or maybe they have ideas and aspirations and their partner is saying, oh, this is a hobby or uh, this is something, you know, that is not even going to take off that if they can't even talk bravely to their partner, how on earth do they go into this big wide world and feel like everybody hear me if the person who means the most to me doesn't even want to hear what I have to say? Wow, that is an yeah. excellent point. I did not expect you to go there, but what an excellent point. So confidence is obviously crucial, though, in effective communication. So are there strategies that you recommend for women um, to build and maintain confidence in their voice and overall presentation? Um, yes. Yeah, so my, my, my strategies and my approach is very unorthodox and non-traditional. And I'm also, I'm 
often asked if what I do is similar to other programs like Toastmasters. And I say Toast is better with jam um, (laughs) because I want people to think beyond confidence and being polished and being refined and being professional. The number one question I ask people is, do you trust your voice? Do you trust it? Are you excited to use it? Do you have faith in your ability to use it? What are you excited to say? And those are the questions that people are often tripped up over. That they're like, uh, excited. I, I don't, uh. because again, we, especially as women, we're so structured to be like, go, 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 go. And climbing that corporate ladder and being seen as a boss and, and somebody who gets the job done and all those things. I ask people, I want you to just think outside of your role. What are you excited to talk about? And that's when you see tears. And that's when you see like the walls coming up because they've never thought about how they're using their voice to talk about the things that really make them excited, you know? So in terms of strategies, I ask people to get excited. I want you to feel so connected to your voice that you could use it everywhere. And when you start to visualize where you want to use your voice and what you want to say, that to me is one of the number one most effective strategies to get people excited and to build that confidence. Because you're, you're forget confident, you're excited to talk about the things that matter to you. For a lot of women, they, you know, they struggle with stepping up into a room with, with a, lo- a lot of male voices there. So how do the dynamics in a room change when women confidently voice their thoughts and ideas, especially in traditionally male-dominated spaces? Have you seen that in action? I have, but I've also seen it with women in the room. Interesting. (laughs) I've really had my eyes opened this, uh, not this year, but last year in a couple of corporate talks I've done. And we are so used to men um, being audacious and and saying what comes to mind and, and just being brave and comfortable enough to say whatever, you know, comes to their spirit. And in my experience, the men that have been in the room have been just as broken as the women and um, feel that they have to put up this front in order for people to listen to them. So there are similarities in the vocal roadblocks, but for, again, for some of the women that I've worked with and not generalizing all, but some of the women, it goes back to, again, that, that intimidation. I can think of one client in particular. She recognized that her inability to talk to her husband was also impacting her ability to talk to other men that she works with. Because her husband was in the same company, was also in a corporate role, and she had these headbutts moments with him that with the other men, she felt that if my husband's not taking me seriously, they're not taking me seriously. And that made it really hard for her. You mentioned in the beginning that you know you didn't realize public speaking was a genuine fear for a lot of people. So how do you help people address that fear? Uh, because it is such a common hurdle. We have to start with what are you scared of? So my mom, she, when my mom is um, disappointed with the family, <laughs> she likes to say people in this family. And I go, mom, there's five of us. Who is the problematic person? Is it, is it the dog? Is it my brother? Is it my stepdad? Is it me? Is it, it's, it's me, isn't it? Right? So when we say, I have a fear of public speaking, You are now telling your brain and your gut, we are scared of speaking everywhere and to anyone. Be specific. Are you fearful of using your voice at work? Are you fearful of being vulnerable because you were conditioned to believe as a child that you're not supposed to talk about your innermost, deepest feelings? You're supposed to keep that to yourself. Be specific. And when we get to the specific, then we realize, wait a second, I could 
I could talk in a restaurant. I could talk at a networking event. I just can't talk here. Okay, now we've addressed the area. Let's work on that. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We're talking with Jam Gamble about finding and using your voice, and we'll be right back with more. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Okay, we're back with Jam Gamble. We're talking about finding and using your voice. Jam, how important is is body language and nonverbal communication um, in conjunction with using our voice? I think it really depends on who the woman is. So I am a Black woman. Um, So my body language, unfortunately, has been misinterpreted and misunderstood for years. If I cross my arms, that comes across as being aggressive. Um, if I am biting my lip or if I, my face is stern, you know, we're, we're told to smile, that we look angry. So maybe for somebody who is non-racialized, their body language might be interpreted as being non-threatening while mine might be coming across as I'm, I'm argumentative and combative. But in general, um, I think body language does help tell a story, but if people are really, um, connected to the speaker, they're looking at your facial expressions. And I think we often overlook the power of a smile or somebody who's looking up in the air when they talk, because we've been conditioned to believe that confident speakers are looking dead in the eye. Um, they're not looking up, they're not saying, ah, uh. but to me, if I'm listening to someone share their story and they're taking a moment to pause and their body, their, their weight is shifting from foot to foot, they're looking up. That to me is a speaker who's speaking in the moment. They're, they're like, they're thinking and speaking in real time. This is not something that has been orchestrated or rehearsed. So I think it really, again, it, it comes across, it, it comes across differently to whoever the audience is and where they're at. Because if I'm feeling, you know, down or if I'm feeling um, not willing to really take this talk in, maybe how the speaker's body language is, I'm misinterpreting it because of where I'm at. So I don't put a whole lot of stock into body language. Um, but it is an, uh, an important component. Yes. And do you think there's a difference between using our voice, you know, if we're, you know, at a conference or, you know, at work and online? Because I think a lot of women might struggle to share their true voice mm-hmm. online because of pushback and trolls and so on. Do you address that with people? I do. And I don't call um, people who do decide to attack people online for using their voice or sharing their story or talking about their ideas. They're not trolls. They are (laughs) a-holes. Trolls are fictional characters that live under a bridge with big feet and a beard. So when we tell someone, oh, that's just a troll, you're essentially telling that person, the person who's causing you pain and anguish isn't real. It isn't real. Um, So we talk about setting those boundaries online, you know, practicing blocking, reporting, doing those types of things. Um, but I think for a lot of people, one of their vocal roadblocks online is the fact that they are worried if people who work with them come across their accounts. And I'm like, we really need to change 
this thinking like, oh my gosh, Susan from finance is going to find me doing my makeup routine in the morning. Oh no, I can't have that. Like we're humans. We have to remember that we are humans who are multifaceted with multiple interests and our nine to five is not just our, like what we're about. So I'm, I'm guessing that you're a bit of an extrovert. Uh <laughs> days, but I've also... I've also recognized the importance of being an introvert as a speaker to protect my energy. Well, I was going to say, because I think a lot of people, some people are naturally more introverted um, mm -hmm. and they may struggle a little bit more with speaking out. Do you have any advice for somebody listening who is, you know, introverted or I, I hate the word shy? Yeah. Guess what? There's going to be people in the audience who are also shy and introverted. Yeah. Your people are there. So if you are a shy person, if I'm a shy audience member and I see you coming across as shy, I'm going to go, we have something in common. And if that shy speaker could share their story or share their opinion, I could do it too. So even if you are introverted and quiet, you could also be motivational and inspirational. <laughs> And I, I suspect because you, you, you're running these courses and you're, you know, you're, you're on TV or on radio, you're, you're sharing your voice everywhere that you're building a bit of a community. Yes. And so how can women support each other in finding and using their voices, both in the workplace and in their personal life, uh, you know, building again on that sense of community? Yes. Um, community over competition, always. I am really blessed to have an incredible online community that if I went online and said, can someone just make me feel really happy? They will either send voice notes or messages to lift my spirit. I think we celebrate people who are already up there more than they need to be celebrated. And we really need to be celebrating those around us, uh, celebrating our coworker for doing that presentation. That was really hard for her. Celebrating that friend of ours who's online, who finally got the courage to talk about this business idea and is, and is bringing it to life with using their voice, celebrate them, let them know, I hear you. I appreciate you. And I'm proud of you because the chance of them repeating that action is increased like tenfold right? Because somebody who is their people recognize that. And I think there's so much we could do just by giving somebody a compliment. Our voice is truly powerful. And the more we use it to uplift people, the more we're going to see a lot of changes in their life and in ours because we feel good. So tell me then, you know, we, we don't have long left, but how does Slay the Mic work? Do they sign up online? Is this in person? No, I, so there are um, learning opportunities in person where I go on the road and I do workshops, but the Slay the Mic program is ran online. It's a virtual course. I teach live twice per week. It's my way of being in touch with my speakers and seeing their vocal development over the course of 11 weeks. And yeah, they sign up online and then we get to work, we get to work. And how long is the course then? It's 11 weeks. It's 11 weeks and um, we're starting cohort nine on January 20th. So um, if you're noticing that I look a little bit tired, it's because I'm in launch mode right now. And just out of curiosity, how many in a cohort? 20. I One year I did 30 and I was like, never again. Um, I think when people are tackling something as intimate as working on their voice, the big group might be really intimidating for them. So my background's in education. I know that people learn best in smaller group sizes. And it's just a, a more comfortable environment for people to speak their mind and build their vocal confidence. All right. Incredible. I want people to be able to connect with you. I want them to, you know, maybe not stalk you on your Instagram, maybe actually converse with you. <laughs> well, I'm friends. So where can they do all of that? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. That's my main playground at I am Jam Gamble. 
um, yeah, come and join an incredible community, not just me, but everybody else in the Slay the Mic program who are ready to celebrate your voice. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for this. This is great. Thank you. It is time to catch up with what's new in entertainment with Ann Brody. And Ann, you were not kidding when you said you were going to be back with a lot of entertainment this week. There is a ton to pick from. Absolutely a ton. But I, I'm glad we've sorted it down to three stories about powerful women. So strong. Yeah. Oh, I was watching the trailers yesterday and I was so moved. And it was actually like a little bit of an intensity scale in the way it was ordered. <laughs> So let's start with uh, Origin. Uh, and I love Ava DuVernay. Just love her. And, you know, she is one of the nicest people I've ever met on the interview circuit. I have such fond feelings for her. But she's brilliant. And her new film, Origin, is based on uh, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Isabel Wilkerson, played by Ingenue Ellis Taylor. And she is outstanding. Uh now she's written a book about caste, caste, whatever you want to call it. And so she has put together, she's a professor, but she has put to, an author, but she's put together the threads that bind slavery, Nazism, the untouchable system in India, and the deaths of people like uh, Trayvon Martin. Um, and she combines that with a story that she's going through with her own family. So it's a very strong thread that ties these these ideas together. And she f thinks that the idea of caste, all of that comes from one single impulse, and that's to create otherness. So uh, she takes us to Nazi Germany back in time. She takes us to India to see the dreadful conditions that the, under which the um, untouchables live. Uh, and actually, there's there's more about that later. But uh, it's quite astounding. She has a, a white boyfriend and he's murdered. So that's all part of it, too. And she has this really interesting conversation with a plumber played by Nick Offerman. He comes into her house to fix something. He's wearing a MAGA cap and he doesn't want to work for her. He just doesn't. But then she sits down. She's, you know, smart woman. And she draws him into a conversation about parents. And before long, he just, he puts his bag down and gets to it, does the work. I mean, you know, she, on big and little terms, she is effective and humane. So it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, first off, I was, I had never heard of the book, so I definitely want to read it. Uh, and I just love the way Ava DuVernay just weaves together her movies. It's just brilliant. It doesn't spoon feed you. It makes you think. But she connects all the dots yeah. for you. And she's and, just brilliant. So yeah, I can't wait to see it. Very elegant, her film. Let's talk about memory with Jessica Chastain. I love her as well. Her, she is such a strong actress. So um, let's touch on that for a little bit. Yes. Now, I'll just give you a little bit of gossip. She won the Oscar in, for uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye Baker. 
the fall, very glamorous, you know, everyone's cheering her and everything. And uh, a week later, she begins work on this micro mini film called Memory. She does her own hair, makeup, wardrobe. There's no dressing room. It's just shot in this crummy part of Manhattan. Um, so she's a she's a worker in a day adult daycare center. So she works with memory. She's, um, so she goes to a high school reunion and runs into a fellow played by Peter Sarsgaard, uh, who she recognizes from when she's little, and she believes he abused her. So. For some reason, he follows her home. She tries to ditch him, but he keeps there. And he sleeps outside of her home in a tire. So she has him removed, calls his sister, and finds out that he is, um, despite the fact that he's his age, like, you know, maybe 40, he has dementia. So she decides that she will care for him as a social worker. And they develop this wonderful understanding relationship. She too is has problems. She's a recovering alcoholic. So the two of them sort their their different their problems out together and fall in love. Um and I mean it's tough. There are tough parts of it, and it's difficult to watch at times, but it is so rewarding. And the performances are incredible. Plus, we have Jessica Harper who plays her bad mother. That's an astounding, very, very short performance. <laughs> a great film memory. Don't forget to watch it. All right. Excellent. Uh, last one, your favorite. And I mean, looks just, the, the trailer looks amazing and tense. Tell me about The Braid. Oh, my word. Well, here we have The Untouchables again. So uh, Letitia Colombani, just an amazing woman. I interviewed her and it's on the site. Uh has put together a trilogy starring Kim Raver, Mia Meltzer, and Fatini Pelusi. It's set in Montreal, India, and Italy. So we have the Montreal lawyer who is diagnosed with cancer, and she starts to lose her hair. In India, we have an untouchable who leaves a desperate situation at her home, travels with her little girl with one bag of belongings into the city. Everywhere she's she's dismissed and abused and she has no money to feed them but they had to get away from their situation so her salvation has to do with hair i won't tell you what it is but it's it's the toughest bit to watch and the most hopeful and then the third one is set in a family business making wigs in italy and the father dies and suddenly they're faced with the idea of poverty and eviction because he totally blew the business. So now they're known, this wig factory is known for using human hair, but they have to start to import it. So the daughter thinks about how she can revive the business. And again, very hopeful. It just gives me shivers thinking about it. All right. Well, I love that you brought really strong female leads, female stories this week. Thank you so much, Anne. You've got these. You've got a whole bunch more, including Freud's Last Session, uh, The Teacher's Lounge, uh, over on what she said talk.com. So people should definitely go read your full review this week. And we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. More 
with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. I'm now joined by renowned Canadian journalist, broadcaster, and author Pamela Wallen. As we step into the cozy world of feline companionship, Pamela is here to share insights from her book, Cats, True Tales and Life Lessons from a Purring Companion. This book, co-authored by her beloved Siamese cat, Kitty, is not just a heartwarming collection of stories, but also a deep exploration of the bond between cats and their human friends. Whether you're a cat lover or just curious about these enigmatic creatures, Pamela's tales and insights are sure to captivate you. Let's dive into the purring world of cats and discover the life lessons they have to offer. Welcome to What She Said, Pamela. Great to see you, Candace. Thank you for the invitation. It's wonderful. Well, I have to tell you, I'm a a little nervous having a legend with me on the show today, so I'm going to do my best to, you know, keep up with you. So can you share what it was about Kitty that changed your heart and mind about cats? Yeah, it really is an interesting uh, process because uh, I grew up with a dog in the house and in a rural community, cats are mostly in the barn dealing with the mice, right? That you don't, you don't have that same sense of them. And then, you know, later in life, a friend of mine asked if I would babysit her cat while she was gone on a vacation. And I I was, you know, not really that interested in it. But into the house came this little chocolate point female Siamese cat. They're just, they're, they're pieces of art, right? They're so gorgeous. Anyway, she was there a couple of months. And then I, I thought, okay, I don't even want to give her back. Um, cooler heads prevailed and said, no, you must return the cat. There's no problem. But I set about on this search and um, hard to come by. They're very hard to come by. And I finally found a woman and she said, I have two females, drove like a maniac, got there. And she said, I'm sorry, I, I sold the female. And I said, but you said you had two. And then she pointed to this little runt of the litter over in the corner who didn't have much of a hope really. And I just scooped her up and took her home. And she spent the first few months of her life right here because they love a heartbeat. So our bond was early and close, and then I started to learn about them. They're much cats are much, much different than dogs, and I hadn't appreciated that truly. So it was quite an uh, quite a bonding experience. She was there with me, as they say, in sickness and in health, and divorce and losing jobs and changing countries and the whole uh, the whole thing. So it really gave me a lot of insight into what uh, they give us, what we can learn from them. I think she made me a kinder, gentler person. Your book is filled with a lot of intriguing feline facts and anecdotes. Yeah. Could you share one or two that particularly stand out to you? Well, it, it, it just overwhelmed me when I started to read that, I mean, they have been around for 12,000 years, these creatures, and they were goddesses in Egypt and, uh, you know, everybody from sailors to, um, you know, witches had some contact with with these creatures. And I remember first reading 
well, when I was young, reading the diary of Anne Frank. And it's hard when you're a child to really appreciate that. Um, given the circumstances today, it's an important book for, I think, people uh, to look at again. But it was only when I started doing this book that I realized that she had a cat, which kept her company at the time, but she had the diary, which so many millions have now read, and she called the diary Kitty. And that really struck me because it was that powerful a connection that she actually called that document Kitty. But all these other things that come up, and I'd seen my own cat do this, where their ears pivot independently from the other and can literally do 180 degrees because they have 32 muscles in each ear. Wow. Um, they have more than a, it's just incredible, right? And so you see this, that they're like a radar system. Um, the tail, you know, 245 bones in a cat, 20 of them are in the tail, which is of course why they end up having nine lives because they can always write themselves uh, in a tree or on a fence, things that look so precarious. And in today's world, you know, cat influencers are a really big phenomenon. How do you think Kitty would have fared in this modern landscape of cat celebrities? Oh, I, I think she felt she was one at the time. Um, she she always had this, um, oh, what is it? It wasn't really arrogance. It was just sense of uh, superiority that she had. Cats love to be up high, so she literally quite looked down on on people. But no, she was um, she was very loving, but had this attitude, catitude, whatever you want to call it. And I think she would have fit in. You know, I mean, uh, Taylor Swift has cat. You know, everybody has a cat, but they are they've always been there in in film, in music, in print. Uh, part of our culture for a very, very, very long time. So that they are now taking the internet by storm is not really a surprise. And you've also included interviews with cat owners and experts in your book. What was one of the most surprising or touching stories you came across during these interviews? Well, I I think it's just the, the, about their power to change uh, you. I mean, you see authors and um, People that you wouldn't necessarily uh, really think in terms of cats being important in their life, but musicians, people who are very in tune with sound and the and listening and their insights into how a cat communicates, and actually broader than that, just the importance of listening. It's what I did and what you do for many years as a living is it that when you're in conversation with people. You need to hear what they're saying, not just wait for a break in the the conversation, right? And and so you learn a lot from uh, people who've had that experience with animals. But mostly, you can't ever find a writer. I had to laugh at at George Will, who was you know a long time political columnist, you know a columnist, very tough guy in Washington, saying, "If you have a cat, you don't need." a vase or art in the room because you have all the beauty you need. Like it, it, these things somehow don't necessarily fit, but you find so many people that have that view of them, that they're a piece of art. Would you say that you are firmly a cat person now, or do you still sort of go half and half? I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pet person. I, 
I have no animal in my life right now because of the nature of the job. I'm on an airplane all of the time, sometimes four times a week. And you can't do that to an animal, which is, you know, drag them here and there, however lovely the little bags are. It's just not, uh, it's not fair to them. It's not how they live. Absolutely. And I don't know what I would do when I am finally off the, uh, the treadmill here. I don't know which way I'll go, but the cat is, is a very, um, it's a very demanding creature. You know, it, it's funny because we say to our friends and, and even our families from time, oh, I'm so busy, you know, I'll send you a text. Let's catch up by email. We'll do a call. Let's have lunch. Uh, you don't get to do that with a, with a pet. It's a huge commitment. You need to be there. And boy, she would tear a strip off me when I'd been at work for 10 or 12 hours and left her alone for that long. I really heard about it. So I want to make sure that I have the time. I think we saw a lot of that during the pandemic, uh, you know, where people went out and got animals and then had to go back to work and said, now what? Right. And, um, and, and so this is a bit of a, a teaching moment too. You know, any, any parent that wants to talk to their child about what it means to have uh, an animal in your life, I think this would be a good way to approach it. Uh, talk to them about commitment and what their needs are. And, and because you're going to experience that full range, you know, you're going to have illness and perhaps even death and, and kids, it's a, it's a way for them to learn and, learn that sense of responsibility too. So a whole lot of benefits, but but they demand a lot of you too. And so you have to be prepared to step up. Is there any message or lesson that you want people to walk away with after they read Cats, True Tales, and Life Lessons from a purring companion? Well, I think what I learned was the ability to pause and stop. There's all sorts of scientific evidence that a cat a cat's purring will actually heal its own bones, uh, but it also, uh, you know, slows our heart rate and slows our, can lower blood pressure, those kinds of things. I I remember walking into a chiropractor at one point, just having all sorts of back issues. And he looked at me and he said, cat or dog? And I said, cat. And he said, yes. He said, I know how you sleep and why you've got the issues you do, because once they settle in with you, you don't want to move. You don't want to disturb uh, because they're, they're just, they're giving you such comfort as well. And I think that, that just that ability to stop, to not answer the phone, to not change the channel, to not get up and, you know, do that one other task, just to sometimes breathe and, um, appreciate what is right in front of you, which is an amazing bond and connection. We have it with humans, but that gets complicated. These people, these creatures are here. I call them people because I do think of it that way, um, are there for you all of the time. So the lesson is just, you know, stop and, and, uh, pet the cat, uh, if not smell the roses, right? It's the, it, it has that wonderful impact. Where can people get the you. book and where can they keep up with you? Uh, are you on social media? I, I am on social media. I do a pod, podcast called No Nonsense with Pamela Wallen. That's a lot of the issues that I deal with uh, in the work world, in the world of the Senate. Um, I've got a website. I'm on social media um, on 
X or Twitter, other places. Um, but really, the book, I think you can find in most bookstores, it'll be out. I mean, if it's not out now, I'm really not sure how this works now at the, in this uh, new world, but uh, it'll be out there and it might be there already, but certainly uh, next week for sure. So I think it's, uh, there's so many, um, I I hate to make it sound utilitarian, but there's actually uses for this book, right? It's interesting. It's easy. You can pick it up. But but for an elderly person in your life, for a young person in your life, I think it's uh, it's a treasure. Pamela, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a delight. Thanks, Candice. Appreciate it. And I'll write your name. As we navigate the pressures of January with its push for resolutions and the elusive new you, it's easy to feel overwhelmed and frankly a bit defeated. But what if we're approaching this all wrong? Today I'm joined by Laura Wellman, author of the book You're Not Lazy, and whose journey from self-doubt to embracing ease and self-acceptance is not just inspiring, but a much-needed perspective shift. With over 15 years of entrepreneurship and helping thousands find their path to happiness, Laura challenges the societal expectations that weigh us down. In a world where 43% of us drop our resolutions by the end of January, Laura's insights are more relevant than ever. Let's dive into how we can let go of the shame of failing at resolutions and embrace a kinder approach to personal growth. Welcome back to what she said, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Based on your experience, why do you think so many of us struggle with keeping resolutions and how does this impact our self-perception? I think part of it is that we expect so much of ourselves, right? We've been taught to always go for the biggest, most impressive. We need to be sort of quote unquote perfect. So it's a new year. Now it's time like to just change everything and, and decide that we can do all the things. And so we make these big goals because we think we should be able to do them. And we don't really consider whether we have the capacity, whether we really want it, how much work it's going to take. It's just like, I, I'm going to go for the thing because um, I'm supposed to. And, and then, you know, life actually is still going on. We're still the same person. And it's not easy to just change everything just because we decided on January 1st we're going to. So we have these huge expectations. And then feel terrible about ourselves every time we can't meet them. Absolutely. And in your book, you talk about reframing how we feel about ourselves, which I think is key here. So can you elaborate on how someone can start shifting their mindset from feeling lazy to recognizing their true potential and worth? Yeah, I think part of it is just deciding and believing that it's okay to change some of the things that we've been taught, right? We, to to realize that there are ways we've been taught to expect things of ourselves that are unrealistic. And so it's not that we aren't measuring up. It's that unrealistic expectations are all around us. All the time we're being told to be somebody who we're not. And when we realize that it's not that we can't be who we're supposed to be, but maybe 
we can be somebody else and that's just as good. That's how we start to reframe it. And you don't need to figure it all out in one go, right? It's not like, okay, magic. You just told me that's not how it is. It's all good. But it's just starting to accept that maybe that thing that you're beating yourself up about, maybe you, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay if you do it a different way than somebody else. Not that you just need to keep forcing yourself to get better at that thing that you hate doing or don't do or don't want to do. So then how can someone begin to let go of sort of the societal expectations and pressures? Because we all do it in the new year. And frankly, the more I think about it, the more I think it's the resolutions that fail us, not us failing the resolutions. So how can we let go of that and really sort of embrace uh, our own identities and, and make changes that matter to us? I think it's it the first step is noticing it. One of the things that I like to point out to people is when they tell me they just need to do something, right? So so how is that going to change this year? How are you going to do that thing you've been talking about? Well, I just need to do it. Okay. So that tells me you've been trying to do it for a long time and you think it's just a, a force of will, right? If you just could will yourself enough to do it, you would do it. And so instead of saying, I just need to do that thing, ask yourself, if I did it, like, I, like, like, let's just figure out what it could be instead, right? What if it was completely different? And to start considering that, that that's the key is, again, it's not all of a sudden being able to do all the things you never did before. And, and like, this is the magic thing. It's noticing how we get stuck thinking we're supposed to just do something. Just do it like that. Just be like this. When you catch yourself saying that, it, again, it's the shoulds, right? When you, I should want to do that. So, okay, but do I, do I want to? And then asking yourself that, that's how you can start to notice what might be different and what not, might not be aligned between what you were told, what you think it's supposed to be, and what you want. So for people who are feeling really overwhelmed by the new year, new you mantra right now, they've, you know, already dropped the resolutions, they're feeling uh, lazy, as, as you know, you might say, and, and beating themselves up, what are some practical steps they can take uh, right now? I think it's just allowing themselves to consider something different. It's allowing themselves to think it's not me. It's not me, right? Like there's nothing wrong with me. I don't need to change into somebody else to be successful. I don't need to become someone different in order for things to work out. I I just need to I just I just get to. I'm just justing right there too, right? But like it's that part of you where you allow yourself to consider it's okay if I don't do things the way I thought I was going to do them. It's okay if I want to do things differently. It's okay if I rest and slow down. And then that helps. Like the more you just start to do a little bit of that, the more you can see the possibilities of how to think differently and how to be okay with where you're at. Again, it's not a magic solution, but noticing is the first step. It's, it's really important. Well, you have lots of uh, tips and advice for people in your book, and uh, you also share online. Uh, where can people connect with you, maybe even have a conversation with you about this very topic? Yeah. So if you go to you'renotlazy.ca, that takes you to the information about my book and my Facebook group and tells you a little bit more about all the ways that you can connect with me. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Laura. Thank you.
with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. In this next interview, I'm joined by an incredibly inspiring individual, Kalina Powell. Kalina is a deaf motivational speaker and coach who has overcome significant challenges to become a beacon of hope and empowerment for many. Despite the obstacles posed by her hearing impairment, Kalina has carved a path of success and inspiration using her experiences to motivate and uplift others. Her journey is a testament to the power of resilience and the human spirit. Kalina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit about your journey and what inspired you to become a motivational speaker and coach? Yeah, definitely. So I actually became deaf at the age of four due to an ear infection. And so when I found out that I was not like everybody else, and I realized that until I went to a deaf school and a hearing school, part-time, part-time. And that's when I realized that why is there not enough speakers for the deaf community or even the disability community? Why is there no um, reputation about them? Why is there such a low number? And it's very unfortunate for me when I was growing up, I was always looking up online, like, is there any deaf coach or any deaf speaker? Or I couldn't find anything. And it was so sad and it breaks my heart that a lot of times people don't have that role model, how they have. So I'm here in command and patient become a motivational speaker. So as a deaf individual, then, what unique challenges have you faced in your personal and professional career and, and how have you overcome them? Definitely. So there's a lot of struggles I faced, especially um, knowing how to communicate, right? So a lot of people always ask the question, like, how do you communicate with the in person if you're hard of hearing? And I said, ah. Uh, I lip read, actually, so that's how I navigate through my conversation with the hearing person. And I, I also always ask people to um, take their time when they're speaking for me because I always do let them know. I had a time like, hey, by the way, I'm part of hearing. I need you to talk very slow for me. And secondly, what I do is I take care of myself. Right? I feel like a lot of us don't really take care of ourselves, especially when you're trying to become the best version of yourself. And... You know, like they always say, like, if you want to earn um, that respect from other people, you have to respect yourself. And especially coming from someone who's a disabled person, a lot of us sometimes don't respect ourselves. And how we, if we cannot respect ourselves, how can we respect other people? And that's literally how I did it and how I navigate the world, especially the hearing community. So your work emphasizes empowerment and self-belief. How do you help others, especially those with disabilities, to find their inner strength and confidence? Um, so for me, what I do is I do focus on the positive psychology. I do not look at negative psychology. So I basically focus on what is it that is stuck in them. We work on it together. So we do, I provide a worksheet or um, we'll do like a, a role play acting during the therapy session. As well, I also provide a lot of like resources for them around their area. And I think that's super important, especially for someone who is disabled. Sometimes we try to look for resources and we can't find it. And thirdly, what I do is I encourage my clients to do something out of the comfort zone. So, for example, one of my clients who 
you know, self-doubt a lot. And I encourage her to do something completely small, nothing too big. And she's like, no, I think I can do that. And so she did it and she and she went crazy. And then I was like, see, I told you something small. And I always look I always help my client to look at the baby stuff. Don't do the big stuff. How are we supposed to do the big stuff if we can't go farther? So I always do baby stuff with my client. And in your opinion, what are some of the common misconceptions about deafness or hearing impairment that you'd like to address now that you have a captive audience sitting here? <laughs> um, the misconception is that every deaf person knows ASL. That's a big one. A lot of people came to me like, hey, do you know ASL? Can you teach me ASL? And I said, I'm not influenced in it, unfortunately. And people were like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I only say thank you. You're welcome. That's the basic things, but I'm not employed in that. And also, too, is that um, we cannot communicate. I know a lot of people just turn their back on us a lot of time because they think that we cannot understand or they feel like, I don't want to repeat myself again. So that is something that we, that's a lot of true deception, but there's so much more, but I'm going to keep it short, so. Well, you're sitting here on the radio and podcast with me, so it's very clear that you can communicate just fine. Uh, tell me, what is next for you, Kalina? Um, Daphne, my, what is next for me is to be in more panels discussing how to be more inclusive for the deaf community. And secondly, I'm going to be working on a children's book that hopefully, cross my fingers, should be released by the end of this year. And thirdly, just doing a lot more speaking and even to just getting myself out there across the globe, try to be in panel discussion and even speaking. Well, I think you're delightful. I, I loved having you here. You have a book, you have social channels, you have a website. So why don't you rhyme these off for people so that they can find you? Yeah, definitely. Everybody can find me on Instagram, Deaf Queen Boss. Second, you can find me on Facebook, Kalina Powell. Thirdly, my website, which is KalinaEmpowerment.com. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kalina. Thank you for having me. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.